Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Today we are on one of those passages of Scripture that can get really offensive to people. Um, And if we're honest, it can kind of offend all of us, because if we really understand what's going on, if we really understand what's at stake, um, then we really see our own guilt in the situation. We see our own nastiness um, in the things that that we've done um, involved in the situation. And so uh, it's easy on some of these things to look and, and to judge others, but it's harder when we're confronted with the reality of this is me. This is a mirror that's being held up to my life where I can see who I am and what I look like in this situation. But this is a story of a wicked area, a whole population being judged and wiped out by God. And it is so offensive to some that many want to say, oh, this is just an allegory. It's just a a story. It's just a fable. It's, you know, it's not something that really happened. And I I want to tell you it's something that really happened. Um, But it is a story of something that happened that is there for the purpose of warning us that this is who God is and how God handles things. Okay? Um, In 2 Peter... Uh, Peter says this in 2 Peter 2.6. It says, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them, them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Peter's saying, it's like, hey, the story we're looking at today, it's there because it's an example of what's to come. It's an example for us of how God deals with and how he handles ungodliness and wickedness. And so we should be warned. We should take this not as like, oh, do I think this happened or not? But we should take this as a warning. We should take this as something that we see as real. Whether that's a warning for us or whether maybe we have hope because we know Jesus, maybe that's still a warning for others that we love and we care about, that we need to know this to be true. So let's jump into the story and see what happens. Genesis 19. So where we left off was Abraham had just had this little bartering time with the Lord um, and he, there was three of them that came to see him. He's talking with one, two go on down towards uh, Sodom. And Abraham barters with the Lord to save the cities based on how many righteous people? Anybody remember? Ten. So if there's ten righteous, God says he's going to spare the city. He's not going to destroy it. So let's see what happens. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. 
and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Fathers, I do not recommend that strategy. (laughs) But they said, stand back. And they said, the fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. And the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-laws, daughters, or anyone um, you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, um, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get up from this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest uh, the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Um, it's, it's, it, is it not a little one? And, and my life will be saved. And he said to him, go, behold, I I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. So we see here this story. And we see that Sodom is being judged. The angels have come in. They've said the reports have made it all the way to the throne room of the Lord. That this place is wicked. This place is evil. Bad stuff happens here. So they, they come to, to, to do the, um, the reconnaissance mission to, to, to judge, to see is it really as bad as, as has been reported. And apparently it's probably worse. They're met 
by Lot, who graciously brings them in. He's adamant, no, do not stay out in the town square. But why? Because I think Lot knows how bad it is there. He says, you need to be inside my house where you can be protected. And then all the men of the city come out. And it appears their intent is to drag these men out for basically a, sorry, PG-13 today, but a homosexual gangbang is what is painted in scripture here. And, and so we see this, this story, and, and many um, have come to this story, and it's easy to look at that and say, yeah, that's wicked. That's messed up. Like, even in, even in our culture today, with as much as, as, as excused in our culture and justified in our culture today, this kind of forced rape situation, um, even that is still frowned upon in our culture as a whole. And so it's easy to look at this and be like, yeah, they, that was, that, they were bad. This was extreme, right? But when we look at what the rest of Scripture says about this story as it unpacks more about it, we can, we can really um, see that, that in comparison, we might be just as bad, if not worse at times. Um, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah uh, constantly, several times, as, as they were talking to the people about how wicked they were and, and how God was going to bring the punishment of exile and how that was all about to come to happen, um, they kept telling them, you're worse. You're worse than Sodom. And, and in one of the places in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, 14, he says this, But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They committed adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. So we can't just pick out this one sin that we see in Genesis 19 and say, oh, well, just that one sin is the problem. Because here, Jeremiah, if we can throw that back up there, if if we see that Jeremiah is saying, yeah, even when you, what I'm dealing with, with you guys, your prophets, they're they're into just straight up old-fashioned adultery. And that's bad. They walk in lies, just lying that's bad. They're all about evildoers. No one's turning from their evil. All of this, and it's become just like Sodom to me, is what the Lord says. And so we can't just pick this one sin out and say, well, this one sin's the only problem, because right here, Jeremiah is lumping all these others in with it. When it goes on from there, Ezekiel picks up on this in Ezekiel chapter 16. And uh, it says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. So why was Sodom judged? Ezekiel's about to tell us right here. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. So God here, he's saying, it goes back all the way just to the heart of what their issue was. They had pride. And how did that pride manifest itself? They had excess food, prosperous ease. Compared to all other times in human history, 
I think we probably embody that more than anybody in our culture, in our time today. Excess food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. So in Ezekiel, God's saying, here's where their sin started. It started with this, 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 this sense of pride, the sense of greed, the sense of selfishness. I mean, sure, in Genesis 19, we have, have this one story of like when they came to judge, like how bad it was. But these other things appear to be what it was that had come up before God's throne of the complaints against this place. Of like, this place is bad and here's why. So that's why I warned you to start with, when, when we look at this story, it's easy to just pick out this one thing, but really, if we really understand what's going on, it's holding up a mirror to us, where we can see ourselves, where we can see our culture, where we can see our city, where we can see our town, where we can see maybe even our family and our, the way that we handle things. And so, so with that... Um, it's good for us to jump over to the New Testament again. In Romans chapter 1, God kind of lays out through Paul how these things go. And in Romans 1, it does talk about some sins. And sometimes we just focus on maybe one sin out of this list, but let's be honest and open and listen to all of them and hear the whole argument that Paul is saying here. So Romans 1, 26 says this. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So Paul is saying this is, this is the state of the world that he sees. They've come, become this evil that they do all of these things. And even though they know that God says the penalty for this, the punishment for this is death. They do them anyway, and then they justify it, and they give approval to others that are practicing these things. And it's easy for us to maybe pick out one or two out of that list that maybe we don't struggle with as much and really hound on those, right? But when we look at the total list, it's pretty condemning of all of mankind, Because somewhere, our sin nature takes on one of these things. And that's who we are. And so we find ourselves being given through Scripture the warning of Sodom. That this is what God does when it comes to sin. He punishes it. He judges it. 
And when it is found guilty, he deals with it. All sin is corruption and wrong before God and worthy of his judgment and death. This is what we see through Scripture. This is the message of Scripture. This is the message of of Genesis 19. But this is the message that flows through all of Scripture. All sin. We can't just pick one, but all sin. Was the sin of Sodom bad? Yes. Was the sin of Sodom bad that Ezekiel recorded of being down just to the pride in their hearts and their greed and selfishness? Yes. But was the sin of what they tried to do to the angels bad? Absolutely. They were wicked people. But if we're honest about mankind, that's kind of who we are, is that we're kind of wicked people. And I know this topic is, is a tough one. Um, I was talking with, with someone just yesterday that they said their, their big holdup against uh, Christianity is the biblical, what I would say is the biblical view and teaching on homosexuality. They say that, you know, that's, that's unloving, that's, that's un, unfair, that's, uh, um, that's being uh, prejudicial, those kind of things, right? Um, and and it, the situation I was in yesterday was not one to debate things. It wasn't a time for that or a place for that. Um, so this person asked me some point-blank questions, and I gave honest answers, and we moved on. Um, but, but it is a hard thing. Um, we, we don't want to be seen as discriminatory people. In fact, anybody that struggles with any of these sins, we say, we love you. You're equally called to Christ as we are. He can take your sin, he can forgive it, he can redeem you, and he can make you whole. No matter which of these sins we're talking about. Um, but the fact is, and the, the really challenging thing is, is specifically relating to that sin, our society, our culture has really bought into a lie of that that sin equals identity. And to, um, to say anything negative about that sin is to be hateful towards a person, towards an individual. Um, if you want another example of this, uh, apparently all you have to do in our town is put up a billboard that has a rainbow on it, a teacher with a mask on, and a question saying, do you really know what your kids are being taught in school? And apparently that is very offensive and gets all over the news and gets taken down because um, that happened this week. Um, and so, so I just say that to say like, yeah, we live in a time and a place where um, to say what the Bible says isn't popular. I know that. I get that. Um, In fact, um, some would probably say things I've already said today would be classified as hate speech. Um, But in reality, where my heart is coming from, my heart is coming from a place of I love you. I care about you. I believe God's word to be true. And so I think the most loving thing I can do is speak it to you and give it to you in a way that you can do with it what you need to do so that God can use it in your life to make, make in you who he wants you to be. So that he can call you to himself so that he can sort these things out with you. 
And so hear, hear my heart in that, that that's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a place of not saying I've got this all figured out or that I'm perfect. But I'm being clear in saying that all sin is sin before God. And any of these sins are guilty before him. Any of these sins are worthy of death, are worthy of punishment. Because he is that perfect and he is that righteous and he is that good of a judge. And what we see here in Genesis 19 is the fact that God judges and punishes sin. We see this to be the case. This is what he does here. And so if that is true, it is very unloving of me to not, not warn you that, warn you of that. Not tell you, like, here's the way that God works. Right? I mean, apparently Lot cared about these guys that were supposed to be his son-in-law's that were supposed to marry his daughters, and he tried to get them to go with them, and they just laughed at him. They were like, yeah, right, whatever. Reading the rest of the story, it seems like they probably would have been some of the ones that were just struck blind. I'm like, you're just struck blind, and now you won't even listen to the guy that tells you, like, the whole place is about to blow up? Like, what are you, what's going on here, right? But they, they wouldn't listen. They just laughed at it, and that's sadly the way many people today respond to this truth as well. They don't listen. They don't have a heart for it. And they, they say, I don't, I don't have a place for that in my life. But here is what happens. God judges and he punishes sin. Genesis 19 goes on. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. It's debated on in the original if that, that means that she just turned around and looked back, or if it means like she started going back, that she started heading back, and she was turning back to what she was leaving. And so that's debated. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that God destroyed the cities of the valley. And yet God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And so we see that God punishes sin here. And we, you know, I've read this week a lot of speculation about how he did it. It was an earthquake with lava coming up and spewing and falling from the sky and sulfur pits in the area and all this stuff. And the answer is it really doesn't matter. The point is that it's God. And when he judges, he judges and he, he judges completely. And so he wiped this, this, these cities out. He wiped these people out. Now let's go back um, to Second Peter uh, 2, where I, I started, and we're going to read a little bit more. So this is, I read verse 6 to start the sermon. We're going to keep going. If by turning the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds um, that he saw and heard. 
then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one. And so Peter is saying like, yeah, God's going to judge. He's going to execute judgment on unrighteousness. But you know what? In the middle of that he can do, he can rescue Lot. He can rescue, he can bring uh, mercy, he can bring mercy in the midst of his judgment. And that's what we see here in Genesis 19. I don't know if you saw it in verse 16. Um, It said, uh, but he lingered, so the men seized him, and he and his wife and two daughters by the hand. They're literally dragging him out of town. And the Lord had, the Lord being merciful to him. They brought him out and set him outside the city. What does that mean? The Lord being merciful means that, that yet was Lot a person that, that God could have been right in judging as well and leaving him there? Yes. What was the deal with Abraham? Ten people. How many get drug out of the city? Four. One of them turned back. And so we, we see that even in this, God is being merciful. And what it says there in verse, verse 29 is that it's because God remembered Abraham. Abraham had made this, this negotiation. He had made, made these, this pull, this draw for, God, if there's just 10, save, save the city, don't do it. Which God knew what was ultimately on Abraham's heart. He knew that what Abraham ultimately cared about was his nephew. And his nephew's family, he didn't want to see them get destroyed with everyone else. And so God shows mercy. He shows mercy to Abraham, but he shows mercy to Lot. And I know many of us, as we talk about this, these these things are not things that are just theological or just in our heads. When we talk about these different sins and all, it either hits right at home for us in our life or it really hits home for us with people that we love and care about. People we love and care about that they live in Sodom today. That's the way they live. That's the way they conduct themselves. And I just want to encourage you that maybe, just maybe through your prayers like Abraham, through your heart for them like Abraham's heart for Lot, God might rescue them. So don't give up. Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up asking the Lord to be with them. And so... I'm reminded of of Colossians 3, so let's go there. Colossians 3 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Be warned, it's coming, it's going to happen again. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. That's who we used to be. That's not who we are anymore, is what he's saying. And that's the good news of the gospel, 
is that Jesus comes and he rescues us out of that life. He pulls us out and he redeems us. He takes away that sin and he clothes us with his righteousness in its place. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's Paul saying, hey, here's what we need. We all need love. We need this love that binds us together in perfect harmony. When we're living in this kind of love, then we're going we're gonna to conduct ourselves with compassionate hearts. We're going to conduct ourselves with kindness. We're going to conduct ourselves uh, with humility, meekness, patience. That's what it looks like to be a, a Christ follower. Not to be combative, not to be angry and fighting, but, but to be an example of Christ of meekness and love and peace in the midst of this other stuff. Because he's saying this other stuff, that's what the world around you is still doing. That's what you once did. But you've been called out of that. You've been called into something new. Let's go on to the next slide. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule. Don't worry about these sinful things and, and, and all those things, but instead be called to him and let his peace rule in your life. And that, that should be our response to God's mercy. As people who've been saved by his grace, that's where, where we should be. And so my question to end the sermon with today as we, we wrap up is this, what do we do with God's mercy? What do we do with his grace shown to us in our lives? Well, let's see what happens with Lot. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Think about how far we've seen Lot go. When he was with Abraham and he was under the blessings that were falling on Abraham, why did they, they part ways? Because he too had been blessed so much. He had so many livestock, so many herds, so many servants working for him that his servants and Abraham's servants were fighting. And now he's come to the place where it's him and two daughters living in a cave. That's where his life has come to. So the whole choice to go live by Sodom didn't really work out for him. Wasn't, wasn't a good thing for him in the long run. But having experienced God's mercy, his grace of saving his life, this is what happens. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with their father. He did not know when she was laid down or when she arose. And all the women say, ew. 
The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring with our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and he's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Benami, and he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. And so we see this story that really just ends on a sad note. Even after being rescued, even after being shown God's mercy, Lot and his two daughters end up in a cave his, his daughter's best ideas are, let's get him drunk and get pregnant by him. And so that's what they do. And yet in this, we can also see that how bad people can mess stuff up, but how good God can use that for. And you don't see it quite yet right here. But there's a whole book of the Bible named after a Moabite person. Anybody think of what it is? Ruth. And so Ruth was a Moabitess. She came from this line. She came into the earth because this happened. And Ruth became, I'm I'm giving you the the cliff note version, okay? Go read the book if you want to know all of it. But she became the grandmother for King David. And through King David came all the promises about the Messiah that was to come. And even as we read the lineage of Jesus Christ, I think it's the one in Matthew, it includes Ruth in that lineage of saying, hey, even someone outside of the Israelites is a part of this heritage. Even someone that goes back to an incestual, like, weird situation with a dad and his daughters. Jesus even came into the world through that. And it's the fact of the matter is that Jesus came into the world for that. To redeem that. Because as we started out with, yes, we all are sinful. We all have messed up. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us except for one. All of us except for Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless, perfect life. He was a son of God, came on, took, took on human flesh, lived as one of us, and yet paid the punishment for sin. What do we all deserve? We all deserve death. What did he get that he didn't deserve? Death. But we know there's hope in that by the fact that he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and that's where our hope is found. No matter what history, no matter what background our sin nature has taken us down, that's what we're all called to. That's what our hope is in, that's what our faith is in, and that's where we can find all the goodness of him. Once we come to that, once we experience his mercy, once we experience his forgiveness, yes, that's when he takes away our filthy rags and clothes us with his righteousness. So that when we stand before God, no longer does God look at us and see all of Wayne's faults, all the times that I've done wrong, all of the places where my heart has been in the wrong place. 
But instead, God looks at me and he sees Jesus. And he sees Jesus' righteousness in my place. And that is through faith in him. And so, I ask you, what are you doing with the mercy of Christ? Have you accepted it? Have you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father except through him. If so, rejoice. Scripture says, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Rejoice if you have called on his name and that you're one of his. If you've not yet done that, please do that today. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you, to make you whole, to make you right, to make you clean. That's a prayer that he's happy to answer. But once that's happened, once you've experienced his grace, once you've experienced his mercy, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Are you falling right back into the old things and saying, oh, Jesus' blood covers me? Are you falling into the list of things that we've, we've read today that Paul has given us this whole list of everything down to gossip and lying? Are you falling into those things? Or are you living by the Spirit? Are you letting the good things of Christ shine through you and work through you? And so I just challenge you with that today. And as always, I tell you, whenever I preach these kind of sermons, if it hits you on Sunday, it hit me on Saturday, okay? So I'm right here with you. But we are, are people who, if we, if we know Jesus' blood, we know his salvation, we know his grace, then we should live like it. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are the, our only hope. You're the answer. Lord, we, we, we see the reality of how, how ugly sin is before you. We see the reality of, of what your judgment will look like. We see the reality of, of just total, full, complete judgment in this story. And Lord, help us not to just mark it off as something of the past, but help us take it for what it is as a warning of the future. And Lord, I pray for those who, who do not have hope and salvation of Jesus Christ. I pray that they might come to you, that they might have that hope. Lord, I thank you for the reports I'm hearing from different parts of the world, especially on university campuses of, of what seems to be revival breaking out. And Lord, I just pray that, that if that's from you, that it just multiplies and increases and spreads. Lord, I pray bring that here, bring that to this place. Bring us to a place of brokenness before you, of humbleness, of meekness, of, of, of just being at your feet because of your mercy. And Lord, we love you. And we thank you that, that you have warned us. Even if our, our culture, our society, people in it, like, don't, don't want to heed those warnings and, and get very upset by them because they're offended, Lord, we, we can understand because it's offensive to all of us. Because it, it talks about my faults. It talks about where, where I'm wrong. But Lord, that's the best thing you can do for us is show us our faults and show us where we're wrong. And so Lord, I pray you do that for our, our society, our world, our church, each of us individually. Hold that mirror up to us where we can look in and have an honest assessment. 
And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day.